Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 1, Episode 13, The Dig. The old man kept a slow but steady pace down the gravel road. It was getting on in the day, and he needed to start thinking about shelter for the night. Bill the dog trotted about ten yards ahead as the vanguard. A small dust cloud rose behind them, marking their progress. The old man thought about that. He'd been keeping away from the main roads to avoid interacting with what was left of humanity. These fire roads were easier on the feet anyhow and presented opportunities for hunting and gathering. He kept a good pace going with his easy dog trot, walking and resting when needed. Bill the dog had become a surprisingly good partner during the few days since they had left the corporal's house and headed west. The dog had not been any trouble. He had been able to keep up just fine with an easy, economical dog trot of his own. Food and water hadn't been any problem. The dog carried his own food and seemed to be able to stomach everything the old man would throw his way. Bill was finicky but practical. The local streams were full, and Bill and the old man certainly didn't go dry. But even more importantly, the dog was a great early warning system. Bill had a good nose and ears and could sense things ahead in their path well before the old man would notice. It was some artifact of the dog's training and was proving especially useful. Somehow, through the miracle of dog sense, Bill would become aware of any human activity before the old man, which meant the old man could see things before they saw him, which was handy. Even so, the old man was still trying to differentiate the dog's alerts. It wasn't just live humans that the dog sensed. Bill would alert for bodies or abandoned cars or houses near the trail as well. Anything not part of the natural environment would cause Bill to stop and alert. I wish you could just tell me exactly what you're worried about, he had said the second or third time the dog alerted for an abandoned house or road crossing. But I suppose I'll learn how to read your signals eventually. The dog had probably saved his life already so it was worth the extra caution to take him seriously when he sent something ahead of them. The old man just wished Bill could be more specific. There weren't many human travelers left in this dead world, but the old man wanted to avoid those that were. His recent experiences with what was left of humanity almost cost him his life. In their few days on the trail together, they had just seen one man. Bill had alerted moments before the old man himself heard the sound of an engine. They had concealed themselves in the woods and watched the man pass on an ATV. The old man was worried that the dog might bark or give chase, 
But he did not. Bill lay silent and watchful with the old man, not making any noise. Good boy, the old man said as the threat passed in a cloud of dust down the dirt road. Knowing that the dog would give a warning when the strangers were around was comforting. It was quite useful, actually. It gave the old man an advantage to be prepared for something, to choose whether he wanted to interact with another survivor, which so far he had not. He had no reason to. He had everything he needed. He didn't need help. There were no neutral interactions anymore. These strangers would either be dangerous or needy or sick. He didn't have material, time, or energy for that. He had done his time in the real world, and it had taken everything from him. He didn't owe this world anything. He needed to keep moving west and find Paul. The old man was making good time now. He and Bill the dog covered 15 to 20 miles a day. He could do more, especially on a good road, but he didn't want to use himself up. He had to take time to find food and make sure he was giving himself enough time to recover. He was already painfully thin from his pre-pandemic life. In fact, things hadn't really changed much for him. For the past few years since he had returned from Africa, the old man had basically been a vagabond. He tramped around the country, living off the kindness of others and running long-distance events. He could no longer practice medicine in this country. He was estranged from his family and any friends he had from his old life as a doctor. He found the ultra-running community to be indifferent to all this. It was a sport filled with broken misfits, ex-drug addicts, ex-alcoholics, and others who needed the comforting pain of running excess to stay clean and cling to what little bit of sanity they had left. That was him, clinging to sanity, waking up every day and having to make up a reason to keep going. If that reason was a hundred-mile run with his new, strange friends, then so be it. The all-consuming experience of staying on your feet far into the mountain trails, long into the second day of continuous forward movement, kept him alive and tamped down the demons. In the running world that he adopted, or that it adopted him, he was an ultra-running doctor, or ex-doctor. The trail runners called him Old Doc. They didn't care about his past they didn't measure him by the rates he would charge or the papers he had written. They didn't care that he had been ruined by lawyers and barred from practicing. In the sweaty dust of an all-day run, he was just another vessel in the storm, afraid or unable to make port. Who could have guessed that this last-ditch effort to maintain sanity would turn into an actual survival skill? He had considered getting a bicycle or even a scooter of some sort since the pandemic started. But at the end of the day, the most effective way to navigate this dying and fragmented world was on foot. He wondered if some of those trail friends were still out there in the mountains, running day and night, oblivious to the disease that had ravaged humanity. Would they pop out of a trailhead and see the destruction and chaos? What would that be like? They'd probably just smile and keep running. Like he did. He smiled now as the road ran through a strand of poplars, 
The sun filtered through the tree trunks and reflected off the litter of freshly fallen yellow leaves. He paused to take a drink from one of the bottles he carried. Hold up, Bill. Let's get a drink. The big dog circled back and sat at his feet. The old man detached the collapsible bowl from his pack and squirted some water into it. He sat on his haunches and watched as Bill lapped at the water. He looked down and considered his feet, the dirty big toes sticking out from the homemade sandals he was wearing. It was a trick he had learned from some Central Americans on a trail circuit. Make your own sandals and never have to buy running shoes again. Something else useful for the apocalypse. The strap on these sandals was wearing a bit thin. He'd have to craft another pair soon. There were thick, shiny calluses where the rubber straps ground against his feet day in and day out. He smiled at them and said to the dog, I'll be long gone before we run out of tires to salvage for sandals. These days he ran in a sturdy pair of cut-off camo shorts, fashioned just above the knees. A machete was holstered at one hip, a hunting knife at the other. A rough work shirt covered by a multi-pocketed vest rode on his torso. His crossbow was slung on top of a light pack. His kit for the apocalypse hadn't changed much from his trail days and had gotten him this far. He had no need for guns or any other complexities that would just slow him down. He felt a fading bruise on his side and shifted his pack where a heavy lump was digging into his spine. He flashed back to the guns at the corporal's house. He remembered the wild pig episode and thought, maybe guns are good for something, but I'm going to stick with what I know for now. Mobility over firepower. And where was this far and when? He figured it was eight weeks after the big die-off. The virus didn't do all the work. The collapse of government and infrastructure in a certain laissez-faire, every man for himself bedlam did the rest. It took maybe two to three weeks for it all to collapse. Based on what he saw of the mortality rates, he deduced that the virus had probably reduce the world population by 90% plus. Maybe with variances in different localities, but he figured, overall, they were probably back to Iron Age population levels. What happened now? What happened next? Was there a chance for recovery, for the cultural and governmental infrastructure to return? Maybe the representatives of a recently defunct government would claw back into control. There might be a government somewhere, squirreled away in a bunker, waiting for their chance to emerge and take back control of taxes and nuclear bombs. Probably not. More likely, civilization would recover the same way it always had when empires fell. Small bands and communities would start to pop up again. Humans, as they do, would huddle together as family groups on fortified farms. As he thought about it, it was quite a bit like the Iron Age hill forts. Maybe all that reading of history he had done in his life would come in handy in this new world. There might be herd immunity now for those that survived, but that didn't mean the virus would just disappear. Unless that immunity was passed from mothers to offspring, population would take generations to recover, if it ever did. As a doctor, or rather an ex-doctor, his mind logically worked through the likely scenarios. 
For a few generations, the young would die off at an alarmingly high rates as a human body figured out a way to deal with this plague like it had figured out how to deal with all the others that came before. If they made it through this bottleneck, these communities would begin to aggregate as they always did, and a cycle would begin anew. Local power centers would pop up. Family groups would expand into tribes. Leaders would begin to emerge. Tribes would produce warlords. Warlords would evolve into lords. Lords would turn into kings. History would repeat itself. As to where he was, somewhere west of North Carolina, most likely, his GPS stopped working. Not because a satellite stopped, but because the battery died and he couldn't recharge it. The satellites were still up there somewhere, circling the old Mother Earth in standard orbits, pinging relentlessly to a world that didn't hear them anymore. His solar charger had broken. He was pretty sure there was no longer any army of Chinese factory workers to make him a new one, or an internet company to deliver it if they did. Where were all those great container ships now? Washed up on derelict beaches like miserable old sea monsters? He was making his way generally west. He moved along the back roads across the Appalachians into Tennessee. He just kept moving. He stayed away from the cities with their armies of black rats, corpses, and miasmas. He kept moving, as his trail friends used to say, relentless forward motion. A rock outcropping ran along one side of the gravel road. These types of rock formations were common in this part of the world. Great gray shards of sedimentary rock pushed up by continental drift. They were jumbles of boulders in some places and sheer rock shelves in others. They ranged in height from a few feet tall to a couple of hundred. They peeked out from under wooded hills and dripped water from their mossy hides. It was an imposing and dark place. The old man imagined the dens of bears or abandoned mine shafts. A slow late summer stream ran along the other side of the road, sometimes petering out into swampy ground, sometimes gouging away at the road itself from recent high water events. The old man kept a wary eye on the rock shelf as he ran along. If there was trouble, it would come from that side. Bill the dog kept his nose in the air as well, occasionally glancing back at the old man for guidance. Then Bill the dog lifted his head and stopped, acting out the alert message that the old man was becoming attuned to. The old man stopped too. What is it, Bill? He asked in a conspiratorial whisper. Another house? A dead person? Uh, probably an old tire. The big dog dipped his head in the direction that they were traveling with a worried look. Okay, big guy, I get it. Something is up ahead. Let's stay quiet and low until we see what we're dealing with. The old man moved to the side of the road and advanced in a crouch. Bill, the dog beside him, silent and cautious. There was a wide bend in the road, and they would need to move a few yards before they could see what was around it. As they inched around the corner, a vehicle came into view. They stopped moving and settled in to assess the situation. The old man signaled to build a hold and lowered into a thoughtful squat. He couldn't see it that well at this distance. He fished into a vest pocket and carefully unwrapped a pair of eyeglasses. 
Sometimes being old wasn't a great gift in the apocalypse. He made a mental note to pick up a pair of binoculars if he came across some. A pickup truck was pulled off to the side. It didn't look like it had moved recently. A hundred yards or so back from the road, near the cliff face, he could see snatches of a ubiquitous blue tarp. He scratched his scraggly beard and dust fell from his sun-browned, wind-burned face. He looked at Bill, held up one hand and said, Hold! Bill laid down in the dirt and put his head in his paws, resigned. The old man knew from experience that the dog would stay there, unless and until he was called. Straightening up with effort, the old man began a cautious approach. On inspection, the truck was covered in muddy dust and looked like it hadn't moved in a long time. One door was canted open and the cabin floor was full of leaves. The ground around had no signs of foot traffic. He peered over the truck hood towards where he had glimpsed the tarps in by the cliff. Probably another derelict campsite. There were lots of them in the woods from when the population fled from the cities in the early days. The old man slowly moved away from the road, towards a cliff, staying out of sight, checking for signs of habitation and listening for activity as he went. If there was trouble, he could make a break for it and call the dog. It looked like there was a rock ledge overhang or cave here in the cliff. Something in his pattern-matching brain recognized the setup. Next to a torn and crumpled pop-up tent, he saw something he recognized. A screening table and a pile of dirt. He had seen versions of this in the Sudan at a site where the team was looking for Nubian artifacts. This was some sort of archaeological dig. Not a big one. Probably a local university project. The rock shelter, the screening table for sifting out artifacts from the soil. It all made sense. Had to be. That fitting of all the pieces together into a narrative made the old man happy. It always made him happy when his experience in his brain solved a puzzle like this. And maybe that momentary satisfaction loosened his guard a bit. Not seeing any recent signs of activity, he concluded the place was abandoned. Probably early on, when the first warnings came out. He dropped his pack and wandered deeper into the dig site. He was curious. He was a fan of history and always liked archaeology. Toward the cliff face, under the ledge, was a dig pit. This would be the heart of the excavation here. Plastic buckets, tarps, and a large, meticulously dug deep trench. He squatted at the edge of the trench, peering down. The walls were tagged with little flags, and the floor was marked off in a string grid. The pit was already starting to fill up with leaves, nature ever grinding away at the works of man. Suddenly there was a flash out of the corner of his perception. Something hit him from the side with a hard shove. He was falling. The impact, a bright flash of pain, and he lost consciousness. When he came back to the light, he was groggy and confused. The old man rolled over onto his back, propped himself up against the pit wall and assessed the situation. He felt around, moved and flexed different parts of his body, testing. Nothing broken. Just had the wind knocked out of him. Would be sore later. He was at the bottom of the pit. It was about eight feet deep with vertical walls. He could climb out easily enough by digging hand and footholds in the corner. But that wasn't the issue. The issue at hand was the silhouette of a woman crouched at the rim in the dying sunlight, watching him.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my survivor friends. How is the apocalypse treating you? And happy Easter. I figure rabbits. Rabbits are something that will probably survive the apocalypse, right? Cockroaches and rabbits. So there's a an online multiplayer zombie game that I play called Dead Frontier. Yes, I'm all in on the apocalypse. And for Easter, they have the, an event. On all the holidays, they have an event. And for the Easter event right now, you get to kill zombie bunnies to collect prizes, which is kind of fun. Which reminds me of the, uh, the old Monty Python, right? It's just the bunny rabbit. Yeah, you kids who don't know what I'm talking about, go stream Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and you can thank me later. So did you like today's cliffhanger? (laughs) I just got an email from Robert, the audio performer who does the reading for me, and he said in capital letters, he said, Do we know who this woman is? (laughs) So maybe it was more of a pit hanger, right? There, He's down in that pit more of a pit hanger than a cliffhanger so the good news is we're up to uh, about 3500 downloads we have new listeners in minsk belarus dhaka bangladesh and puerto viejo ecuador all places i have yet to visit i have been to mahabadipuram on the bay of bengal which is kind of across the water from bangladesh uh in a way close but that's another story so send me an email if you're listening from one of these far-flung places i i love this stuff and i'd love to get your feedback love to learn from you that email is c y k t russell two s's two l's at gmail.com and the way you remember that the way i always say it is chris yellow king tom russell two s's two l's at gmail.com and i need a favor from all you great people whether belarusian bangladeshi or ecuadorian go into whatever podcast app you're using and leave a review just a quick note that's what drives the algorithms and we all love algorithms we don't want to go afoul of the algorithms if you're feeling super motivated tell a few friends If we, you, I, and Dimitri from Belarus can grow this tribe, I can accelerate to a weekly episode, and I'd really like to do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you're just beside yourself with enthusiasm, you can throw some Belarusian rubles, some Bangladeshi taka, or some Ecuadorian dollars. Because, yeah, Ecuador switched their currency to the U.S. dollar. And you can do that at my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash after the apocalypse, all one word. So I listened to a couple of interesting sci-fi stories recently, and I really like sci-fi short stories because they have that one really interesting idea. You know, typically it's not enough to write a whole book, but it's enough to make one interesting story. And that really good idea makes you say, huh, that's a neat idea. And the first one was a story uh, where the it, it was probably 50-ish years in the future, and the global warming had really wrecked the planet. And as a result, they had outlawed baby boomers. So baby boomers had figured out how to live longer. And they were hunting them all down and putting them in, in camps because the baby boomers screwed up the environment, which I thought was kind of funny. But the second one is really good. And it's a story called Things by Peter Clark. And... Have you ever seen a movie called The Thing? It was released in 1982. It starred Kurt Russell, no relation. And it was directed by John Carpenter, based on a book by John Campbell from 1938. Now, you might be thinking, gee, all those names sound familiar, and you'd be right. John Carpenter is the prolific director who brought you Things like the Halloween movies, as well as some other fantastic B-movie sci-fi classics like Escape from New York, also with Kurt Russell, 1981, just a year before The Thing, and one of my personal favorites, They Live, with professional wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper from 1988. And of course, John Campbell, who wrote the original story, was one of those giants of the golden age of science fiction, as well as a writer. He was a longtime editor of Analog Magazine. So I, so I know I keep doing this to you, but trust me, all these factors come together to make The Thing a great sort of science fiction grindhouse mashup with lots of practical horror effects. And the links to all this stuff you don't have to remember it. <laughs> it's in the notes. And don't get me started on Adrian Barbeau, who was an escape from New York and Swamp Thing. But anyhow, any of these movies would be a good streaming choice for sci-fi lovers on a Friday night in the apocalypse. Now, the critics, they hated Carpenter's version of The Thing at the time. No one knew what to do with a horror sci-fi mashup, but I liked it. And there, before that, there was an original version in 1951 called The Thing from Another World, which I have also seen, and that was a pretty good movie for its time. Anywho, to make a long, complicated, meandering story short, the Peter Clark story that I listened to on a bike ride last week reimagines the movie The Thing from the alien's point of view. And if you have seen the movie, this story especially as read by Kat from Clark's World, is just an awesome funhouse mirror read of the same story from a different angle, and I really enjoyed it. 
So that's it, my survivor friends. This is Chris, your lead survivor, wishing you a happy Easter. And as always, keep surviving. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.